right. Believe it or not, we are on our ninth week. About four more weeks left or so. We're going. Time is a flying. I mean, this is Kiss March Goodbye week. I think next week will be April something, right? Yeah. April 1st. April 1st. April Fools kidding. Day. Dang, we're, we might just have a little fun with that next well, week. April but. Fool's Day is, is the day you say you're kissing winter goodbye. Okay, that too. I hope so. Okay, so we all together here. We're all good. All right. Okay, mastering the message. This sounds like, uh, when we look at the title of it, it sounds like we just talked about how we have a style to deliver. We need certain ways to deliver this message, but now we need to kind of rewind a little bit and go, we have the message down. Uh, and, and I think it's good that they put it in the order that they did, and that is giving us a sense of, you can do this, we all should be doing it, here's how we can do it. But we do wrestle with the gist of, what do I say? And most often, at least in my experience, and maybe yours experience is different, you can feel free to share if it was, my experience with sharing the gospel most often was the Romans wrote. You know, that's how we shared the gospel, the Romans wrote. Now, that's not to say that there were other, not other ways, but that's one of the things that came to people's minds. Sharing the gospel was sharing Romans wrote. And we're going to talk about that tonight, obviously. But let me just do this. I'm going to jump ahead real quick, skip through. I'm going to jump ahead to this slide and then go back in just a moment. Uh, now that I got Bill, Bill, can you read that from here? From there, I saw you squinting. Oh, that's, that's my <laughs> I can read Colossians 4, 2, 6, the forgotten work in sharing our faith, and I'm going to trust you for the rest of it. Okay. Oh. All right. Michael? Yeah. Can you read those verses for us? Are they clear? Sure, I'll start with verse 2. Yeah, let me do this. One second before you do. This is what I'm going to ask of you. I'm not asking everybody has to answer on this, but it's one of those things where you know I've said since the very beginning, I wanted to keep these verses in front of us. But that being said, in just a moment, Michael's going to read these verses for us. But here's the question I have you to be thinking out loud in your mind, not out loud, thinking in your mind to share out loud. Of these verses, as we've looked at them, interacted with them, thought through them, of these verses, what statement or statements have impacted you most from these verses? Impacted your thinking, impacted your approach, impacted your life, whatever way. Because that's really what we want to see. At the end of the day, we're going to forget a lot of stuff we've talked through this semester, but I don't want to forget these verses. But what part has hit you the most? So, Michael, if you wouldn't mind, would you read those verses for us? Starting with verse 2. Please continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am <coughs> that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outs- toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Okay. So just very simply, I'm not looking for long, drawn-out testimonies, just simple statements of this is what impacted me most from these verses or this statement, this phrase, whatever. Anyway. Verse 5. Okay, verse 5, go ahead, share. In what way, Jan? Oh, I thought you didn't want to long term. No, just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a guy answer. That was, that, was, that was a guy answer, like, how was your day? Good. Just fine, good. Uh, very good. I tried. Really, really great. Okay. Yeah, no, that's good. So, and, I, and just looking for, and I just meant, let's not go into four-minute testimonies. Just, yeah, but verse 5, and why? 
Okay, because it, it is so important what outsiders see and making the best use of your time is, has always been a struggle. Okay, good, good, thank you. Sierra, so I um, just being fearful that that will open the door make a conscious effort to pray about it, not just hope for the best and see what happens. Good, good, because it's keeping us alert to, again, God's at work, but we need to see him open those doors rather than us trying to jam doors open. What else? Anybody else? Jen? I'm also seconding fans, number five. Okay. Um, people see you, and, and even if they're not, even if you're not talking about your faith or, 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 or showing your faith, you know, um, in, I'm Christian, hi. If you're just, um, even if you're just, it's not even just about um, making sure that you're it's making sure that you are a reliable source all the way. So, I mean, making sure that you represent yourself well and, and, and that you look competent and that, you know, so that you, you can give the gospel, but if people don't really trust you in other ways, you know, they think your presence flighty or something, you know, you have to, you have to watch your image all the way around because otherwise you're not going to be reliable. Well, and the key word that you're you're talking all around and describing and illustrating his word. No, his word, you're credible. Yeah. That is, yeah. What, what you are saying, if if they don't see this in you, and then you start sharing it, I'm like, yeah, right. Um, what's any different between you and me? Why would I want to listen to what you have to say? Right? So it's our credibility. It's huge. Anything else in these verses? Michael? It's kind of tying in along with that, especially, in the, I've noticed, especially in my own life, I've had an issue with my tongue just because... I don't know, whatever I hear just kind of gets absorbed and gets stuck there, especially curse words for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And verse 6 fits out to me, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Mm-hmm. And I can say this for a fact, it's very hard for me at times when I'm at work, because I work with a lot of unsafe people, yeah. and it's very easy to slip back into the way I used to talk, cursing and making really inappropriate jokes. And then trying to witness them is like what it, it, it almost nullifies it to the point where it's ineffective. Right, right. And, and that's where honestly, I mean, I, I did my time years ago at the Ford factory, Ford assembly, five years spot welding, eating sparks all day. And yeah, you, that's not the cream of the crop when it comes to people that have a very broad vocabulary. There's a pretty narrow vocabulary. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's one of it is, you know. And, and yet, it is easy. I found even with myself being in there, it's not that I just succumb to it all, but you get so used to it, the shock factor is no longer there. And all of a sudden, you get hit by something, and you get sparks up your nose or in your eyes or whatever, and you think of the words they've used every time. Yeah, and so you have to watch it. Anything else? Essentially, and I, I, this has just been for me, and again, your, your, your experience as a Christian uh, may, well, may very well be different. Um, the two areas that I've seen most often are the hardest for us as Christians is our prayer life and our sharing our faith. And both of those are a relational issue. 
we're struggling in this relationship with God. It's like praying to a God we cannot see and listening for an answer we will never hear because He's an invisible God. So we struggle with that because we are sight-oriented. That's why faith is, is a struggle for us. That's why Fanny Crosby wasn't as big a struggle because she was blind. I mean, for her, for 95 years, 90, almost 95 years, she was blind. And so her first sight was going to be Christ. Our second sight is watching Phil from there. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's That's good that. Hey, good to see you. So, honestly... You know, we're looking at, when it comes to these verses, I just want to keep those in front of us because I, I know we will forget many things from this class. Um, and unless you have a photographic memory or whatever, and there's some things that I've said through the course of the weeks that I think I'd like you to forget because things come out that I never know where they're coming from. All right? But hopefully, um, as we look at these verses, they continue to nudge us to be what Jean was saying, a praying people and specific praying people knowing that their salvation is not up to us it is up to God and yet it's not up to us even to fabricate the occasions that is God that doesn't mean we don't try to reach out and try things invite neighbors over obviously we do but at the same time we don't try to jam it through the door if, if we start to talk about church and they're putting up the don't talk about that we don't do that. Oh, I'm going to be bold for the gospel, and I'm just going to ram it down their throat. Well, that will be your last conversation with them about anything, uh, period. So I just take these verses. Phyllis? It's the same verse, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second part of it says being watchful in it with thanksgiving, and I think, you know, a big barrier to sharing our faith is fear. But thanksgiving and fear don't fit together. And so, you know, he reminds us to be grateful that I even give you opportunities. You know, I mean, that we need to be grateful that, that God opens doors to us. Right, absolutely. So that being said, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll jump back to what I was going to show you as we begin tonight. Like these verses. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us. We thank you for giving these folks sufficient strength just to be here tonight and for the opportunities you are affording us to show our faith in ways that perhaps we don't even know. Uh, There are people watching us, listening to us, watching our reactions, our actions, our attitudes, and we need to be mindful of that because it could be uh, slowly or quickly shutting a door or it could be slowly or even quickly opening a door for the gospel. Help us, we pray, to walk in such a way that Christ would be honored and we would have an opportunity to be a fitful ambassador for him. All right, so going back, let me just buzz back real quick. All right, I'll take it back to mastering the message. Uh, let me, oh, there's chalk over here. Let's see, erasers, see chalk. Please tell me there's chalk in here. Did you say, is there chocolate over there? Chalk. <laughs> there might be. This is like women's so chocolate. Table up there. The if there was chocolate, <laughs> all right. Well, second thought. Let's just fake like we did it on the wall. All right. So back in 2006, uh, I, I, I sometimes when I came back to, to America, sharing about part of our time in China, sharing in our churches. I said my first year I was able to share the gospel with 400 students at a university three times. They're like, how did you get away with doing that? 
I said, well, uh, one of the things we could do was use uh, holidays that, even though they're religious holidays, as part of our culture, in order to be able to share those things. And then I just gave them, here's the real story of Christmas. Here's the real story of Easter. And honestly, even with Thanksgiving, here's the real story of Easter. Um, President Lincoln, President Washington, both issued decrees as a president for us as a nation to give thanks to God. And that continued on to where now we have the whatever Thursday of the month uh, in November is a day to really give thanks to God. So I was able to do that. But one of the things was when I got to Easter that first year, um, I came into class and I, I drew on the picture, I drew on the board a cross, and then I drew this in a circle. So hopefully you could visualize what I just drew. What was that? Easter. Okay, this is going really well. I really need this chart. All right. It sounds like now. It, I'll, here, I'll clue you. In. That's all right. That's all good. I've got the picture. Let's just finish the picture that you couldn't see up there. This was very effective. All right, gospel. So when we say the word gospel, I mean, as we looked at, if we look at our, matter of fact, go to 8.1. If you're not there, go there, please. All right, if you overview the issue, you grasp the issue, you looked at the questions, the bullet points, you see the word gospel, 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 gospel. All right? Now, as church people, we know this word. What is another way to describe gospel? Look behind me. Okay, good news, all right? Now, but honestly, gospel really is one of those Christianese words uh, because that's not really a word that people use. That's really a word that we use. And then we say, well, it's good news because really the word that, that was used in the New Testament literally was good message. It was the good message from the person who came in riding on a horse to tell the whole city, hit the gong, tell everybody, here's the good news, all right? That was that person. That's what we were doing, sharing the good news. So that week at Qingdao University on the east coast of China, I wrote on the board the words good news, and I drew a picture of a cross with chalk, really simple, cross, that was easy, and then the second picture was this. You know, I did the you have the standard, you got, usually you see this picture, you can make the round thing, an opening, line, and then a circle, there's the empty tomb, all right? So I just put those two pictures, and I said, one of them is a cross, the other one is this empty tomb. And I said, that's good news. And I just stopped for a second to let it sink in. That is good news. And I said, let me explain what that is, though. And many of them knew a little bit, because they see the cross, like something's going on with this. But in a sense... <laughs> In the simplest sense of mastering the message, that is the good news. That is the sum total of it. And that is a death, a burial, a resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul is writing the beginning of that chapter, and then he gets into the resurrection, the beginning of the chapter, he says this is the gospel, that Christ died, he was buried, he rose again, and he goes on to describe how he is our substitute. So that is the gospel in a nutshell right here. And so I was able to, in a simple way, with an audience that, number one, many of them don't even know much about Jesus Christ, but also one of the bigger challenges with Chinese people was they don't even first believe there's a God because they've grown up being taught that all you need is the government and evolution is how we got here, and that's it. You don't need God. And so for them, it was there's an extra step. And that is, I'm not trying to convince them there's a God because I can't do that. All right, we'll talk about that, I think, tonight at some point if we get a chance. But when we're talking about the gospel, this is the picture I wanted in mind. 
and that is there was a death, there was a burial, there was a resurrection. That is good news. But then when we look at what we're talking about tonight, you know, in that first paragraph there on page 8.1, it was interesting because I found myself reading that first paragraph going, oh, there's Colossians 4, verse 3, there's Colossians 4, verse 4. Because in the first sentence it says, if we're going to share the gospel, you first have to have a clear understanding of its message. And we're praying, God, help me to make it clear. But we can't make it clear if we don't know clearly what to say. And that doesn't mean we have to be a theologian and we don't have to give 20 different uh, truths in order to make it a complete presentation. But also it said in the third sentence, it said once we understand the message, we must also consider those with whom we share the gospel. All right, There was praying for an opportunity, an open door. Who do we share this with? Do we just randomly walk up to the people on the street? That's okay. But obviously God and His providence puts us where He does for specific reasons, and we're praying for those open doors. So when I looked at this mastering the message here, you have the same question repeated in the paragraph and undergrasp the issue. In the paragraph, the second sentence says, What is the gospel? The first question under grasp the issue is, what is the gospel? And I think that if I, I didn't do this tonight, but if I did, give you a half sheet of paper and say, all right, you have three minutes, write down what is the gospel. We all have some similar components to what we share because we have all believed the gospel. Now, we wrestle with how much do we include, how much do we not include, all right, and that's a part of what's really helpful with this lesson. But we're answering what is, it, what is the gospel, but also the key word that I, I, I highlighted and, under, and underlined was in the questions under grasp the issue, it says what are its essential elements and how can we share the essential truths of the gospel? Well, the question is, what do we keep and what do we leave out? Because we're not going to give them a theological lesson, a full-blown theological lesson. But then we do wrestle with what can we leave out and still be true to what is the gospel? What are the things that when we strip away and give the Cliff's Notes version of what the gospel is, what would that look like without weakening the message of the gospel? Because there are presentations today, there are easy, believe, easy believism ways of presenting it that strip away components in order to make it more palatable to people and then we get more decisions and more results, but the question is, are those decisions and results real? Did true faith take place? Okay, so that's what we're looking at. Now, I asked you if you were able to do the homework, and if not, it's all good. You can give me your shoot from the hip right here. But under the sound bites, there were four different kinds of statements about the gospel. And I simply said, which statement do you agree with? Do you most with. And if you were able to look at it, highlight it, mark your star by it, or draw your lines through the other ones, any of these statements that you say you agree with most from the sound bites. Or if you want to flip it, you say there's one that I disagree with the most, all right? Okay, so Jean says she agrees the most with number four. There are many approaches to sharing the gospel, and people should use the one that best suits them, all right? Okay, I saw somebody shake their head like, amen. Yeah. Well, and, and we just last week, the last two weeks, admitted and we talked through this very issue, and that is, there are we have different personalities, different approaches, different ways of thinking, 
but the same message. And that's what we're going to try to look at tonight is mastering. Somebody else had their hand. Yeah, Janice. I was going to say disagree. It seems like if you don't know God's word and you don't know how to talk to people and using the right things to say, you're going to give them the wrong message. But if you say something that's not even No, I, I, you have no idea what you're talking about. Well, no, that's that's exactly right, Janice. And honestly, there's a verse, and I, I forgot to look it up before I came to class tonight. There's a verse I've heard people quote and saying, well, God's going to give me the words at the moment of that time. Uh-huh. Which, that can be okay, but that can also be dangerous because we can find ourselves saying things or trying to counter their statements with something that we are not ready. And we're not trying to be cult-like in order to be like, all right, if they ask you this question and make this makes this statement, here's how you counter that. All right. God gives us the equipment to serve Him in a witness form. He gives us the Bible, so we have everything we need in it in order to help people come to God. And if we don't have it, if we don't know it, then we don't really know God that well. Yeah. And, and I'll give you for instance in what you're saying, and it will come to you in just a moment. Like for example, with VBS, and when I was on Neighborhood Bible Time, like forever ago, going for a whole summer traveling from city to city with another guy, and there were teams of these teen evangelists and whatever, all this stuff we did way back in 1981. And we, there was a lot of pressure in that program to get results. But one thing I did learn from that summer is you never ask kids, do you want to go to heaven? When you're making the invitation, you've given the story, now you're offering it, you say, do you want to go to heaven? What kid is going to say no to that question? And if you want to go to heaven, come on down. Well, I had kids come on down and go, I'm going to the bathroom. You know, and I'm hungry. When are we going to eat again? You know, Obviously, they don't get it. But my point is, I had to teach people because I had to learn to ask the question, why is your hand raised? So if they raised their hand saying they, they wanted to make a decision... I would tell the people, walk up to that child quietly, whisper in there, why do you have your hand raised? Let them verbalize what they want, making sure that they understand. Because we're trying to make sure that what they say they are believing in is clear. Because the dangerous thing of easy believism is we have this system of, well then pray this prayer. Believe these couple of things and pray this prayer and you're in the club, you know. That doesn't mean, again, we have to go full-blown with other things, but it does mean we cannot leave certain things out and that we have to be ready for. All right, did you have one more thing there, Phyllis? Well, uh, just um, God says be ready always Mm -hmm. to give a person a reason and the hope that's in you. And, And the biggest part of being ready is knowing the truth. I love the analogy that they use for uh, banking, how they teach people to uh, uh, identify counterfeit bills if they pass through them. And it's because they familiarize them, they familiarize the employees, the tellers, they, with the real thing. Real money, real money, real money, so that they're so familiar with the real that they can spot a counterfeit really easily. And it's the same thing with the Word of God. We have to know it. We have. Yeah, and, and we and again, that does not mean we have to do a ton of things to, to bring to the table, but we do need to make sure we are not making it so so easy for them to believe because we're kinda we're kinda downplaying sin, we're downplaying hell, we're kinda acting like those two things don't exist. Well let me just tell you right now, if we downplay sin and we downplay hell, we are in deep trouble. Because if they're not convinced that they're a sinner, there is no reason to be convinced that they need Christ. 
And if they don't believe in a hell, then they won't understand the, the nature of Christ's gift. This was an infinite God dying for us, and if we don't accept this, we pay an infinite price ourselves forever in hell. That's hard for people to swallow. I don't get this God doing this for forever thing. Well, because you sinned against an infinite God who requires an infinite price. Therefore, it must be Christ for you. Yes? Revelation 21, verse 8, and go, here's the people that go to hell, murderers, whoremongers, blah, 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 and all liars. Oh, wow, that's kind of on the list with some really bad stuff. So, again, I would just ask some simple questions that we would expect they're going to have to say yes to. Yes, I've lied. Uh, yes, I've been angry. Have you ever been angry before? Uh, and, and so that, and then just letting it kind of go, there it is. You know, Rather than us being... Um, it's kind of like what Nathan did with David. He shares the story. David gets all incensed, and then Nathan goes, "You're the man." All right. Now, obviously, we're not so good at coming up with a sheep story to make somebody feel guilty. But I think I just ask a question to get them to think that what they just said doesn't make sense, even though I'm not going to say it that way to them. And, and then I'm going to have to say, "This is what God says about what you just said." I. He says two things about lying. Number one, all liars will go to hell, apart from Christ. And James 2, that I think was in our lesson here tonight, even if you offend in one point, you're guilty of everything. You may say, I only lied one time. Well, sorry, like the baseball illustration, unless you bat a thousand, and if you don't understand baseball, you don't get that. Bat a thousand all the time, no errors, no nothing. Uh, sorry, you don't make it into this special hall of fame. And that's the reality. So it is. That's, that's going to be part of the objection. Somebody's going to say, well, I'm not really, I'm not a sinner. I, I've never done anything wrong. It's like, well, that's really fun to run with, but let's do a simple, subtle, let me just ask some basic questions of when you were a kid. Let's not talk about now, when you were a kid. Did you ever sass your parents? Did you ever lie to somebody? Well, then we can just go right to here's what God says about that. All right? Hang on, let me come back to that or else I'm going to lose getting through we'll never get past a dot one page all right so I don't know I've had a ringing in my ear since 2009 so I just... are you hearing voices too <laughs> no, I'm just I'm hearing voices. okay good I just want to make sure that, that's all right but it didn't get annoying to me until you Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, thanks, Janice. Okay, this class is going really well. We want chocolate. We got noises going on. No one else is affected by this. Okay. Um, here's where. Oh no, it's all right. It's all good. Just don't want anybody annoyed in this class. We bring chocolate next week to keep that from happening. All right. 
going down to the central question or issue, all right? Again, this is where I just, I always throw this up here for you to consider it. Um, if you, I, I didn't take us time to read through all the questions and whatever. The bottom line, obviously, was what is the gospel and, and what do I need to master so that I'm ready to share it when I do have opportunity, all right? So my, my answer to this question then, and at least for me, and I, I try to put it in first person for me, and I put it this way, what is the gospel message and how much do I share with an unbeliever? In other words, what is the basic message of the gospel and how much do I share? Because, again, there are people that strip it down so stripped down, so streamlined, that anybody's going to say yes to it. Because there's no... If I hate to put it this way, there's no strings attached. It's like you're in, it's all good, you can keep living the way you want, and by the way, God's going to make you healthy and wealthy and everything else, all right? So that's part of it. But then the other thing is not just what it is, but how much do I share? Because sometimes we think if we do like we saw last week, the three-minute testimony, and and uh, Phyllis, you gave it to me? Jan. Jan gave it to me. Phyllis gave it Phyllis gave me her testimony. So she wrote it up. She worked on it. And... Uh, if we give our three-minute testimony and we do that, we want to tell part of our story, but certainly our story isn't the issue. Our story is a, a means whereby to share the real story of Christ. But the question is, how much do we weave in? How much do we leave out? And that's really the question. So what is the gospel, and then how much do I share with an unbeliever? So let's jump into the scriptures here, because I want to take us through scriptures that are really, really can I say really again? Really familiar, all right? Are a part of what we call the Romans road for sharing the gospel. Now, it's in your notes uh, on page 8.2. Matter of fact, I'll read the first ones, and then I'll have somebody read the next ones, all right? What should we conclude then? This is Romans 3, 9 through 18. Are we better? No, not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin, everybody. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one that does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, Having said that, matter of fact, let's jump one more, verse 23. Verse 23, bless you, says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, if you have your hope, your book opened all the way, across the page on 8.3, you have the question at the top that was one of our questions. How would you summarize Romans 3, 9 through 18, and verse 23 in a few words? Um, it was, I mean, I, I can summarize it in two words, at least starting out. Bad news, all right? We talk about the gospel as good news, but 3, 9 through 18, and verse 23 is bad news. But summarizing it a little bit more, pulling out, and I say summarizing like in a phrase, a sentence, whatever. How would you summarize what Paul is trying to say in these verses? What would you say about that? I thought, the first thing I thought of was that, that we're all alike to start out with, because he separates, you know, they were really big into separating Jew and Gentile. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, hold on, like we're all the same, we're all in the same predicament. And here's why, you know, so that helps, like, just today, like, you know, white collar, blue collar, white, black, whatever, you know. 
we're yeah. on the same boat. <laughs> Absolutely. So there, there is, there may be nations, people, countries, cultures, but at the end of the day, there is one common denominator that slices through them all. All of us are sinners. All of us are rotten to the core. Here. What else? Phyllis? None of us measures up to God. Okay. And here's how I put it. That's a that's, that's part of what I kind of what I, I, I wrote down just a couple simple things. No one is good enough to have a relationship with God. No one. I can't have a relationship with God. I am not good enough to have that relationship with God. And I would say this no one would choose to have a relationship with God. And, and that's where, again, this is a whole theological discussion for another day, all right? A whole other fun discussion, collection, and all that kind of fun stuff. And, Everybody loves to go into the deep end of the pool and then it gets kind of murky and all that kind of stuff, all right? But here's the reality. Whatever way you want to slice it on that theological argument, you can't come away from the end of verse 11 with God chose us because we chose Him. Because it says no one seeks God. Nobody. I never, if I chose God, then suddenly grace just went out the window. God gave me what I chose, all right? But if I understand, I am rotten to the core, and because I am God's enemy, and I want nothing to do with God, and the only way I would want anything to do with God is His initiative with me, then suddenly grace makes a ton of sense. All right? So, very simply, those verses can say, no one's good enough to have a relationship with God, no one would choose to have a relationship with God, we are nationality, culture, whatever, we all have a common denominator. We are sinful, and we won't choose God. Anything else? Anything else to throw on there? Okay. Now, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23. Phil, would you mind reading those two verses for us, please, there in our book? But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so what we're forcing ourselves to do is we're in very familiar turf, and the danger is, um, I heard somebody say, familiarity breeds contempt, but somebody took it another step and said familiarity without commitment breeds contempt. In other words... We get so familiar that we're not committed to this message anymore, and so therefore we just, you know, whatever, it's, it's the Romans road. But we need to think through it. We need to understand how central to what we're sharing these verses are. So that's where then the third question there on page 8.3 about verses 5, 8, 6, 23 say, what important truths can be gleaned from these two verses that can help us in understanding the good news? Because remember I said the previous verses are the bad news, all right? The bad news has to be in place for the good news to make sense. All right? Nobody embraces the good news if we haven't helped them to see from Scripture. The bad news is they are a sinner, even if they may say, well, I'm not. All right? And I'm not going to say, well, God says you're a liar then. <laughs> yeah, that's going to go really well. But, um, you know, there are more subtle ways to do that. All right? So Romans 5, 8, 26, 23, what can help us understand the good news and I don't mean, like, give me theological answers. I mean, just give me what's practically in these verses that is helpful. See here. Okay. Yes. That God loved us enough to make a choice that is not a natural choice. 
he made a supernatural choice. He made an amazing choice. All right? What else? Christ died for us while we were in a sinful state. We were at our worst. So everything's covered there. It's not like we got worse after he died for us. I mean, Great. everything's covered. We can't do anything more. Okay. So we're saying... God doesn't reach out to us in love because we were good. He reached out for the very opposite reason. And that is, we weren't good, and He reached out because we needed Him to be the one to reach out. What else? Because some translations put that Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love. Depending on your translation, I think that's a great way to put it in light of the word that's used there. That God proved his love. In other words, Christ's death, and this is where people that are agnostic, I, I was reading something about atheists the other day, and some guy that wasn't agnostic and switched over to atheists, and says, he said basically, he said basically agnostics are or was or something like that. You know, in other words, they're not they're not bold enough to say, I just don't believe in God. They're like, well, maybe, but not really. All right. But here's where I'm looking at. People will say, but God didn't do this, or God didn't give me this, or God didn't take care of this. Well, here's what these verses are saying. Christ's death is the ultimate proof of God's love. Not that God gives me everything I want or need or demand. That's not what proves his love, but that's what people want to say God is. He's the, he's the cosmic uh, vending machine in the sky. I put my money in, he gives me what I want. That's not God. God says, this is how I prove my love. Not by giving you everything you think you need or want or whatever, but by giving you Christ when you were still a sinner. But what about verse 23? I mean, this is a verse that can come off our lips so easily because we've memorized this verse. What do we see in this verse? Okay. What do we see kind of in back and forth in the verse? It goes one and then the other. What what do we have in that? Okay. But play it out for me. So he didn't just save us from sin and death. He, he saved us. He, he gave us life for eternity with him. Okay. So not just get away from me, but Absolutely. And and honestly, here's here's where I'm trying to just Go back to what I said, Romans 3, 9 through 18, and verse 23, bad news. Now the good news. But really, verse 23 puts bad news and good news together. Here's the bad news. We're in big trouble. But here's the good news, and that is eternal life. But here's what I would say about that. If people don't accept the bad news, they'll never embrace the good news. They'll never embrace the good news that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that doesn't mean we've got to be able to just smack people down with the Bible and show them that they're sinner, 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 and they finally say, Uncle, all right, you got it. All right, but that's really God's work. Us playing God to be Holy Spirit is a really bad thing. All right, that gets us in big trouble. But they need to see that. And part of the way that should be happening, here is the hard part for us. It's easy to tell people what should be showing them their sin in many ways is how we live goes back to our credibility issue. How we live, how we act, how we react at work, neighbors, home, whatever, should be just like with Jesus. 
remember the disciples in the book of Acts. These guys were not well-educated guys, but it said they noted that these men had what? Been with Jesus. All right? The impact of his life had impacted their life. It wasn't educational. It wasn't that these guys are all sophisticated now. These guys were still fishermen to the core, coarse to the core, but at the same time, they were completely changed in the core and how they acted, lived, and responded was very different, and it was compelling, all right? That's part of our Christian witness. Part of them seeing the bad news is in comparison to us and ultimately, ultimately in comparison to Christ, all right? Okay, anything else? On it, before we go to Ephesians 2, we're going to go through this a little quicker. I wanted to go a little slower there because we tend to be so familiar with these verses, we don't think through them well. And we need to think through them well because it's really the heart of the gospel. I mean, Paul wrote in great detail to a church or a group of churches in Rome. He never, he never ever planted these churches, and quite possibly he never visited them because he ended up in prison in Rome. Can you say something, Vince? Well, he, he always stated, even Christ stated, it's according to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. He didn't make himself. You understand what Right, I'm right. In other words, his authority was the word. Right. Is that what you're saying? Right. Yeah. And so, again, what we're trying to master, what we're trying to communicate is not my opinion, but here's what God says. If you have an argument, you have an argument with God. Now, again, I'm saying that bluntly here. We wouldn't say that with somebody else. But we might, in a subtle way, or hopefully in a more blatant way with our life, be saying that. If they can walk in a room and for three months work with us and not see any difference in our actions, reactions, or our work ethic, our work system, whatever. I don't mean like, well, we're a neat person, they're a slob. I mean, we do what we're supposed to do, whether the boss is there or not. We're not like, okay, the boss is gone, so now we're flipping into... 45% of capacity rather than 100%. No, we're, we're on the job, and we're working for the Lord because that's what Colossians 3.23 says, all right, that I'm doing it for the Lord's sake, all right? Now, let's go to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, which we won't take time to, we won't even take time to read it all. It is, it is probably, again, it includes two verses that many of us probably have memorized, verses 8 and 9, but again, it is giving bad news, you're dead in trespasses and sin, goes to good news. They always have to have both of these. But the question that we did ask, and this is just an interesting one for everybody to throw whatever they want on the table on this, and we'll try to make sure we're biblical on it. The question we asked was at the bottom of 8.3 was, what does grace mean, and how can you explain it to people in a simple way? Okay, I, I assume all of us have heard some of the good or cliche answers to what grace is. So just throw them out there. What what are some of the answers to how we say what grace is if we're trying to explain it to somebody? Jan? It's God not, not giving you what you really deserve. Okay, good. Well, that's worse. Okay. Yeah, that's the one that does the two. It's always trying to remember which way does that statement go. Okay? Grace is God giving me what I don't deserve. Mercy is not giving me what I do deserve. Right? But yeah, you were on the track, and it was just like grace and mercy. But yes, what else? Favor from God for free. Okay. Favor from God for free. No strings attached, no small print, no dude talking a mile a minute after the commercial's halfway through to give all the disclaimers that the lawyers told him to say. All right? None of that stuff. What else? 
I mean, simplest we all often put is a free gift, an undeserved gift. I don't know if you've ever seen, and again, this is what drives me crazy not having a board to write on, because when I teach, I tend to write a lot, but I just don't do it here because they wouldn't appreciate it, I don't think. But I've seen one that I thought was a really good way to remember it. Uh, again, no, no acronym or no statement is always perfect to illustrate theological truth. There's always the risk that it leaves something out or doesn't emphasize well. But the word grace, if you put G-R-A-C-E, I've heard it said, God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, God giving us everything, but giving it to us through Jesus Christ. And it's like G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Because again, you saw in the article, if you got to read it, Bill Hybels hopped on the dinghy with his wife and went and sat with some people on their yacht. I just kind of wonder what kind of boat did he have. I know. <laughs> but he had a dinghy. I don't even have a dinghy. You know, he's got a, he's got a boat that had a dinghy with it. All right. But then after the night of hanging with these probably fairly wealthy people on their yacht that were not believers, his wife's off the boat or she's in the dinghy, he's halfway, and they say, you know what, we've been wanting to know this whole Christian thing. How does one become a Christian? Well, he wasn't in a position to go, let me get back in the boat and give you a sermon because he's a pastor. He could have done that. So he had to give a short answer to it. Well, I can say perhaps something like this, God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, God promises to give you everything, but it cost him incredibly to give that to you. And that doesn't mean you're going to get a bigger and a better boat than you already have right here right now. Uh, that's not the whole point. Um, even though, uh, what's his name? Dork in Houston. Joel Osteen said that to, uh, said that to uh, Oprah Winfrey when she interviewed him at his palatial estate. It's like, yeah, I believe God expects to bless us. And this is part of blessing us. Like, no, you blessed yourself. Let me just say, you blessed yourself through the offerings of the people in Houston. All right? Well, I'm And it, but that's but that's the health and wealth gospel people saying today that God promises that if you believe in the gospel, then you're going to have all these good things, and that's part of a faulty gospel, or in some cases a false gospel, you know. And that is God promises you're always going to be healthy and wealthy, and if you're not, you know what they're going to say? Yeah, your faith is deficient because God doesn't God doesn't give junk. God doesn't do junk. All right, if you got junk, it's because your faith is really stinky or small. All right. And, and so when we're looking at that, trying to lay it out there, we're going to have to give them the bad news. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. You're disobedient. You're taking care of your own desires and lusts. And you are objects of wrath, verse 3 says. But, and here's the big conjunction in verse 4, but God, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in his mercy, and then he goes on to say the good news. And that's why I say, understanding grace, it's a free gift. How did you say it again? I said favor from God for free. Okay, favor from God for free. All right, and, and however it sticks in your mind, we have to we have to tie it to God, and it has to be no strings attached. All right, because if it's a gift, but I had to earn it, then it's wages. All right, if I had to work for this, then it's it's paid for my work. It's not a free gift. All right. Now let's just move on. Okay, so let's go on down to 1 Corinthians 15. 
this is where I said, if you want the gospel in a nutshell, um, here's what Paul says in verses 3 and 4. For what I received, I passed on to you, in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, page 8.4, that, and he says in verse, in verse 3, this is of first importance. In other words, this is most important. In other words, get it, folks, Corinthian church, there's nothing more important than this. Now let me tell you what that is. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. All right? And if you notice, it says, for our sins. He is our substitute. In other words, it's not just He died, He was buried, He rose again. It's a substitutionary payment for us that had to be all these things. Because if you go back to the beginning of Romans, Romans chapter 1, it says the way that we know that Jesus is the Son of God, Romans 1 verse 4 is... His resurrection declared His credentials that He is the Son of God. Had He not risen from the grave, His credentials would have gone down the drain. He would not be proven to be God. He had to raise from the dead. That completed the credentials of who He is. He and He alone is God. And that's the gospel. He died, He buried, He rose again, but He died for us. All right? It was a plan for us, a substitution. Now... I've got to buzz through that to get on to our article, Making the Message Clear. And I'm just going to throw this up there because Bill Hybels, we've already seen one article from Bill Hybels, one from Mark Middleberg uh, earlier in our study together, and they're taken from the same book, Contagious Christian, um, or Becoming a Contagious Christian. Uh, I just throw up here the four points to ponder in illustrations. Uh, I thought it was very, very helpful, four points to ponder, and I just want to hit those quickly. Here's the four points. I throw them up here so we can go, all right, that's what they said on page 8.6 and 8.7. You wonder, all right, Romans Road, what do we need to include, what do we need to say? He's made it fairly simple without being overly simplistic, right? Uh, In other words, he hasn't stripped out things. And here's what he said about God. The three characteristics of God, he is loving, he is holy, he is just. Okay? Now, he said this, maybe you caught this, what do people want to stop with? Of those three, which one do most people out there in the community at large want to stop with and say, this is what God is? All right, everybody just say it out loud. Love, Love, all right? I didn't think anybody was going to go just. All right, or holy. Right? Everybody wants God to be a God of love, period. But even their definition of that, of love, is not what they would do in their own lives. Because here is where justice comes in. And I, I illustrated this years ago. I'll never forget when my two oldest kids were like, uh, Caleb was like five and Kylie was like three or something like that. And I remember I was a pastor in Maryland and I heard a horrific story. Uh, these kids in London, um, this is years ago, these kids in London entice this little five-year-old in these railroad tracks, beat him to death just for the heck of it, a five-year-old. And Caleb was a five-year-old. And I thought, how in the world would they ever come up with an idea? Like, they just, you know, entice this kid in the railroad tracks, and these kids, underage, just for the fun of it, beat this little five-year-old to death, you know? Well, let's say it was a man that did this or did something horrible to my kids. And then I go to court, and the judge just goes, you know, it's Friday, it's been a good week, and, you know, I'm in a good mood, so I'm going to let you off today. You're, you're free to go. Um, you know, i got to admit, if that was my kid that this man did and this judge did that, 
I, I, I dare say there probably isn't a dad who wouldn't go flying across the bench and want to wring somebody's neck, probably starting with the judges. And I'd end up in prison, not this dude, all right? But the point is, we, we want justice that way, but people don't want that with God. They want God to just go, it's all good, I'm a grandfather, I'm a good guy up in the sky, um, and that's what they want. But we have to see that when we get to the us part of this, if you look, you can, I, I've got, you know, here's my, here's what my book looks like, except I got a pink marker, so I feel a little, I feel a pink pen, so it looks a little girly. Um, but here's where he talks about God being loving, loving, holy, and just, but then when you get to us, God's holiness exposes us, he says, for what we are. His justice deals fairly with the sin we've committed. The world says, no, not fair, not right. Um, God's not just. How can it be that Hitler can be this bad, but there's people over here that aren't as bad as Hitler, and they're going to go to hell too? That's not just. And I pause for a second. How do you answer that? If somebody is a really bad guy like Hitler or Mao Zedong from when we were in China, somebody as evil as those guys, how do we answer that when we look at somebody who, like, uh, I don't say Mother Teresa, but somebody who is a good person, did good things, and again, I don't know her eternal destiny, I'll leave that one alone, but let's just say, somebody who isn't such a bad person, but they never trusted in Christ, they would go to hell as well. And somebody says, that's just not fair. I don't, I don't, I don't want to believe in a God like that. What do we do with that? Well, we don't compare each other to each other. We have to compare ourselves to God. Okay. And we all fall short. So none of us are as holy or as good or as loving as Here's what I'm getting at, and, I, and we don't have time to look at the scripture. But First Corinthians chapter two, it's talking about the natural mind, the spiritual mind. If we're a child of God, we've got a spiritual mind where things are spiritually discerned, which means the Spirit of God works with us to help us recognize that the Word of God is the message from God, and it's all true. But it says of the unbeliever or of the natural mind, he is unable and unwilling to accept the truth. He's unable because he has an unbelieving mind, but he's unwilling to accept it. Um, when we become a believer, a true believer, then God gives us the ability to see truth and life from his eyes, not from my eyes. And that begins to be the transformation of grace. So in, in giving the mastering the message, yes, we want to make some key things clear about God. He is loving, but loving doesn't mean he gives us everything we want. He gives us what we need. But that doesn't mean that he could just give it free of charge. He can't just take sin, put it under a rug, and go, yeah, you know what, y'all, come on in, all right? He can't do that. If he's going to be just, he has to punish sin. That's Christ. That's the good news. That's what Christ is, our substitute. And his holiness shows why we need that. All right? Said Christ, and, and, and talking about that Jesus Christ, as I said, is their substitute, and he is the expression of the love of God. And then you, and he's connecting it to each of us. Um, and, and, and he goes on to say in that section, 
we can't push others to make a decision prematurely. We've got to be patient, all right? So I'm going, obviously went through that really, really fast. But I would simply say this. You know, as you, let's say you do what Phyllis did, right? You took your testimony and tried to put it in a way that brought in part of your story and brought in some of these key components. This is what God brought me to recognize about God. And that is, He is a loving God, and He showed His love not by giving me everything I wanted in life, but by showing me that I was a sinner and that He would be willing to forgive me and give me a life with Him forever. Because this life is going to be over like that, and I've got something way better. And people may say, well, that stinks, because right now that means your life has no meaning. It's like, no, my life has more meaning than it's ever had before. My money, my home, everything now has purpose. It's not just stuff. It's stuff with purpose. All right? Now, here's the illustrations. And, and uh, if you got to read through them, here's, I'll just throw them up there. Do versus done. Uh, the bridge, Romans Road, baseball illustration, airplane, and then your personal story. Your personal story, we can just kind of scratch that off because we already alluded to that in a previous lesson. And we talked about that. And if you got a little confused, because the article that followed this is kind of funny. It's like, there's one more article that I didn't ask you to read. Summarizing the gospel in 30 seconds. You're like, okay, make up your mind. Last week, it's tell the gospel in three minutes. Now you're cutting it down to 30 seconds and all this kind of stuff. It's like, really? So, obviously, we can't do it in 30 seconds unless, you know, you're in a situation like what Bill Hybels faced. And somebody asked you, I remember... Many years ago, wow. I was I got a job at Domino's Pizza. That was one of my better jobs, all right? Domino's Pizza delivery dude. But this guy, for whatever reason, I mean, he was kind of a wallflower, the guy that was a manager. He just said, tell me, I mean, it was the interview. I mean, like, you interview for delivering pizzas, really? Like, you know, my breathing, my living, my crook, you know, when you deliver pizzas, you know, are you serious? But he's, like, asking me, so in 60 seconds, tell me what is the most important thing in your life. Wow. So I told the gospel as fast as I could without preaching it because I wasn't really you know, into preaching at that point in my life, and there it was. So I was able to say that. But I, I remember that when I think of this, that 30 seconds or three minutes or whatever going, there was a great opportunity. And at least I was able to say something. I don't remember to this day what exactly I said, but that was an easy transition. So the point is, what can we share, and what's the best way to do it? Have any of you, and I was going to grab some from out underneath, from out underneath the information center. Everybody looked at the clock. I got a minute. All right, I guess I did it too fast. Um, any of you ever seen the bridge track? Have you ever had the bridge track? I mean, I had it in Chinese in China, so we had it in Chinese, which is really nice as well. Um, clear track, but it's also something that you can, like Bill Heibel said, it's something you can use the basic components of it and draw on a napkin or a piece of paper if you had a restaurant with somebody. You don't have to be an artist, which Lord knows I am not that in any way, shape, or form. But it is a simple way of showing people. And if you've ever seen the bridge track, it'll have these lines that go like, good works, um, four things in there, that's what I meant to grab and see. Good works, go to church, give or something like that, but the lines go from the one side, but they don't make it to the other side. You know, and, and I used to sometimes explain to people, when you're sharing that, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we may look at it with those lines and go, but if you take a running start, you might make it. 
right? Well, the whole point is, it's not just fall a little bit short, it's completely, infinitely short of being able to reach God. So less people look at that and see those lines getting like two-thirds of the way and just need a little bit more, it almost be, should be, but I realize I had to put the word on those lines, really short lines, because man can't make it. Now, of, of, those, of those different illustrations of usage, Romans Road is probably the one that people have used the most, personal story, airplane, baseball, airplane, eh, a little weak, but do versus done. Um, that has been a helpful one for me, all right? And that is. Um, that is what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. All other religions have some type of system to do something to reach something. Christianity is the one we can say without question is, I am a child of God because of what was done, not because of what I did, all right? Do versus done is a great way. So if I was in the getting out of the yacht into the dinghy situation, I'd be pulling out the do versus done because that's a quick response to it or God's riches at Christ's expense. But the bridge is a very helpful one. And I would include with that bridge, uh, the nice thing is there are scriptures and there are even statements that help clarify it that are out there as well. And I will grab some to bring to class next week. All right, that being said, we got to wrap it up. Father, we do thank you that as we read this article, as we read these scriptures, we were first reminded from these scriptures, particularly from Romans 5, 8, that you loved us, not because we were good, but quite frankly, the opposite is true. We were incredibly bad, under your judgment, under your wrath, and we would never have sought you. We would just avoid you like anything. And yet, Father, you reached out in love, and now that we are yours, you continue to reach out in love to show your love through us. So help us, Father, to be mindful of the people around us who need that love and how best to display that love, the grace of God, the glory of God, so that we will be credible witnesses, so that we'll be clear in our witness, and if we have an opportunity given to us that we don't expect, that we will be ready with an answer, a clear answer, and a correct answer for